Baptist Church, Charlotte. Pastor Nathan here. Thank you for joining us for this Wednesday night Bible study. We are honored for you to have, uh, to give us any of your time. And so thank you for joining with us and opening the word of the Lord together. We have been spending a fair amount of time uh, talking about healing, spiritual healing, psychological healing, emotional healing. This is a necessary subject because all of us have damage, wounds, uh, hurts in our past. And all of those things that we survive, those hurts, those wounds, etc., they all serve as a limitation upon us. Uh, they all conspire seemingly to keep us in a discouraged place, in a defeated place. And as if that were not enough, in the, in the difficult contest of the spiritual, where the forces of evil in some way work against the hearts of men and women, um, the enemy uses those wounds, those hurts, that damage to limit us, to get us to give up, to convince us that we don't have any worth, uh, to tell us that who we've been is who we're always going to be. And then the gospel comes by and the gospel says you should have new hope. The gospel says you should believe for great things. The gospel says you should try and yes, try again. Some preacher comes along and preaches that passage from Proverbs that you know, the just man falleth seven times and riseth up again. And, and you're encouraged in your spirit to try again. And then this contest, this battle happens. Um, you're always going to be trapped. You're always going to be a failure. You're always going to be in some way held captive by the wounds of your past. The reality is that all of the damage we carry in our hearts in many ways is, is formative to us and uh, more, it is limiting to our spiritual potential. Now into this sad reality of broken hearts and um, damaged pasts and uh, low self-esteem and you know how we all beat up on ourselves. Into this comes this this um, potential of the Spirit, this potential that God could use us, or this potential that we could believe the report of the enemy in our life. And we become the deciding vote, whether or not we step forward to live a life of faith and expectation, to seek the presence of God, to, in many ways, uh, live with the simplicity of faith that almost requires us to have a a very childlike view of mercy and a childlike view of faith. We get out of our own way. We stop overthinking everything and we realize that the healing uh, that God promises us is not just a physical healing in case you had a disease or an illness. Now we we thank God for that. We, we celebrate that. But perhaps the most important healing in our life is the healing that happens in our spirit. Uh, we who were once dead in trespasses and sins, we we rise in a newness of life, a new hope, a new joy. And we learned how to resist the enemy. We learn how to stop being our own worst critic. And this is a spiritual transformation. Let me say it this way. Uh, I'll start with me. My greatest spiritual potential 
um, is on the other side of spiritual, emotional, and psychological healing. My greatest opportunity to influence people toward good things, uh, flourishing life, uh, spiritual victory, uh, for me, it's on the other side of my psychological, emotional, and spiritual healing. The more I live in the brokenness of my past, say, um, the less strength I have to step forward into newness of life. There's something that is very, very real about making a different a difference in the realm of the spirit, and that is our spiritual strength does not come from having enough. It comes from overflow. Um, the spirit fills us not to the brim. That would be enough for us, but it fills us to overflow. The blessings of the Lord will always be greater than your capacity to hold, to embrace, to understand. And if you cannot get comfortable allowing the spirit to overflow your limits, uh, the banks of the river, the rim of the cup, so to speak, the vessel that God is pouring into, then your spiritual influence potential is tremendously limited. And so we've been talking a lot about this healing process that happens in our hearts. And we've started in the book of Genesis and we started in the Garden of Eden and we really sought to dig down into the idea of two different ways of knowing God, serving God, how we get it right, how we get it wrong. There's a reason why there are two trees of importance in the Garden of Eden. There's not just one tree that if you eat of, you would die. There's also a tree of life. There is both the potential of who you can be in God, that eternal spirit in whom we live, move, and have our being. And by consuming the fruit of that tree of life, we become like God, or we choose the path of making ourselves the judge and the object of worship, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, we spent a lot of time, and I, I encourage you, if you haven't been through this, this has been one of the most descriptive and detailed studies that I, I've ever done on um, really digging down into what overcoming life should look like biblically, what victorious, flourishing life should look like biblically. Um, I, I would encourage you to go back and, and, and follow through this with us. Um, I want to read here. I'm going to direct your attention to Philippians, and we're going to read at chapter number two. I'm going to flip over so you can see my Bible. Um, this is uh, Philippians chapter number two, and we're going to read at verse number five. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation taking the form, let's turn the page here, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. I want you to notice this language. He, even though he was God in the flesh, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above 
every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Notice specifically this this action uh, that though he were was God in the likeness of man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Um, I think this passage is is as uh, important a passage you'll find in the scripture of showing an act of submission. You could read this and look at it kind of from a top-down view, or you could read this as the testimony of of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, where there, broken in his spirit, recently betrayed by Judas, um, having been having wept over the city of Jerusalem, uh, he now goes for a last prayer meeting. And so the, fir- the, the passage we read here, that's kind of a top down, what was happening from the top down. Now here is the bottom up uh, perspective. Jesus, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. But if there's no other way, um, I submit to it. If there's no other way, Nevertheless, not my will, thy will be done. This, this, is the, this is the moment that is so rich with uh, theological beauty and so poignant with the pathos of the Son of God in his limited flesh, in his weariness, in his pain that is to come and uh, almost immeasurably uh, he he submits himself son of god to his father this is the new testament language to his father not my will thy will thy will be done um, i want to remind you that um, we are tempted to hold ourselves as the highest standard and to judge everyone else in our lives, uh, whether they deserve it, whether they deserve it or not, and we wonder why this creates a culture of cynicism, and skepticism, and ultimately selfishness. This is the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Um, whereas what Jesus challenged us to do is to live as a a child, uh, which is an astonishing thing to think of. Uh, really, a child? It's like we think about these uh, we think about these scriptures enough where we lose the shock value that an outsider has really become like a child children have a wonder that is oftentimes lost to us as we grow older they have a trust a simple trust in their parents um, because they don't know and they cannot care for themselves um, they have a simple trust in their in their parents and this is the way that Jesus is inviting us to live in faith with this simple trust where we simply we simply to believe now now contrast that that almost seeming naivete that seeming absolute surrender and uh, casting of your cares on him knowing that he cares for me that almost child 
childlike relationship with God. Contrast that with the spirit of the elder brother, so to speak, uh, the spirit of the religious leader, the spirit of the uh, Jewish lawyer, the spirit of uh, we know best, you know, all the thinking has been done, just hush and obey, child. Um, th th this, this profound difference between serving God and, and, and we're invited to live that way in faith where we our mouth does not reveal uh, the cynicism, the skepticism, and the selfishness of our heart. Because remember, our mouth will always reveal. When your heart is pure, your mouth reveals the purity of your heart. But when you live as a religious critic, your mouth reveals that. And you can hide all you want to about, oh, well, I'm a I'm a truth warrior. I'm a debater for God. Okay, okay. I, I hear you talking to yourself. Um, but there is... Uh, a reality of elevating ourselves and we live in the cynicism and skepticism that really is the fruit of the tree of the God, of knowledge of good and evil rather than the, the submission that we have uh, to God and trusting Him, not pretending we know everything, but living a life of real surrender. That's the challenge I want to give to you tonight. It's not easy. It is the hardest thing you and I will ever do this side of glory. The hardest thing we will ever do is open these fists and say, your will be done, O God. We crave control. We want God to serve us. We want to elevate us. We want the heavenly choir to sing a little bit about Jesus and then to sing a little bit about us. We crave this. This is uh, why there's wars and rumors of wars in the world. Where do wars come from? It comes from the lusts that war among you, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul says. Now, when we talk about surrender to God, it's, a, it's one of those words that's it's easy to say in a religious context. And if you are not in the water of that context, like the fish doesn't know he's wet, you might ask yourself, okay, well, what do you, what do you mean by surrender? Um, you would probably first think in terms of a soldier surrounded by um, the enemy troops and he's waving, a, he's waving a white flag saying, all right, I'm done fighting. I'm no longer contesting this hill. I'm no longer contesting this foxhole. I'm no longer warring with you. You have won. I uh, surrender. Um, that's the image that comes to our mind. And that's also why part of our worship is the uplifted hands of surrender, where we say, I don't know best, so I surrender to what you say. I don't have the answers, so I surrender uh, to your answers, O oh God. I surrender to your way, uh, O oh God. A life of surrender in the context of serving the Lord is the act of giving up control to God. Surrender for the Christian is the act of giving up control. Now, I lost most of you when I said giving up control, because let's be honest, we're experts at shouting on Sunday and then trying to control everything in our life and being grumpy and irritated when we can't control it. A life of faith in the context of the Christian believer is the intentional act of giving up control. And here's the astonishing thing that you may not realize I may forget, but it is exactly this, tru this truth. The moment I give up control 
to God is my first step into real spiritual freedom. We're going to talk about that. Remember I said that. The moment I give up control is my entry into spiritual freedom, not necessarily reassurance of my personal psychology, not necessarily assurance of everything being okay, but the first step of my spiritual, spiritual freedom. It requires trust, yes. It requires trust. Um, let me give you some context here. Could you let a stranger take care of your children? Now, most of you are like, um, um, no. Why? You don't trust them. No, I'm not saying being a Christian means you should let a stranger take care of your children. I'm using this as an example of giving up control. Would you let someone you didn't know take care of your home while you were on vacation? Of course not. Why? Why? Why would you, as an intelligent person, say without regret? No, I wouldn't. I'll tell you why. Because trust is earned. That's why you don't let a stranger take care of your kids. They're the single most valuable thing in your world. You don't just foist them on a stranger. Not if, you know, you have any sense. Why? Trust is, trust is earned. So until you or I have an understanding of a person's character, we are hesitant to let them take care of anything we really value. It's going to be the same way with God in your life. If you don't know him or you do not seek to know him, if you don't make time to know him, you will never be able to live a life of surrender. You're going to have to believe that God is good and he knows your path better than you do. You're going to have to believe that God is worthy of your trust. You're going to have to believe that he knows every trial, every trouble, every tear. He knows. And he sees better than you. And he loves you more than anybody, any, anyone, any, yeah. <laughs> he is the very source of love in your life. But if you don't know him, it's not going to be easy for you to trust him. Let me show you a, a scripture here. This is Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding, but in all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. Uh, this is this is the hard work, the hard work of surrendering our will to God's will. So let me remind you, when it comes to life with Christ, the act of giving up control to him is actually the beginning of our freedom. A life of surrender requires trust, and that trust is developed in the context of a relationship. I am uh, aware that this is a subject I have to repeat to myself over and over. If I cannot surrender my fears to God, it might be that I don't know him well enough to trust his hand in my life. Uh, this is why the advantage of spiritual disciplines is so so powerful to the person who has the strength for him. I want to encourage you all to develop spiritual disciplines in your life. Um, we do at the church what we can to assist. We have an early prayer five days a week. Go to the website, 
uh, click the link to uh, meeting opportunities during the week and you'll have the direct link to our early prayer. Um, there's about 30, 30 of us there, sometimes more, sometimes less. Uh, we pray together. We pray one for another. We pray over the needs that are in the church. Um, it has changed my life for the better. It has given me a strength and confidence of knowing my brothers and sisters um, uh, are, are uh, with me in the battle, that I, I am not alone. So if that helps you, uh, by all means do it. Um, we have meeting opportunities most evenings, uh, Bible studies of some sort like this one. Uh, we want you to join the community of faith. If serving God seems too hard, you're probably trying to do it alone. Um, it's not meant to be done alone. Um, we have to develop trust in God through that daily relationship. We have to learn to trust Him. As we get to know Him, it becomes more natural to trust. If you haven't built yet that personal relationship, where then do you start? How would I begin to see the beauty of the Lord in my life? How would I pursue His presence if I didn't have uh, so many weeks or months of pursuing His nature in prayer, seeking His heart in the Scripture? Uh, I would say you need to think about what He's done for you. You need to think about how He has solved the curse of sin upon you and how when you were without hope and without strength, He washed your sins away and gave you a chance to begin anew, to live a redeemed life. He left heaven, he came to earth, he felt hunger, hurt, rejection. He was beaten and crucified. Three days later, he rose from the grave. Also, he could earn your love. <laughs> also, he could prove his heart to you. Also, most importantly, so he could be in a relationship with you. If you are struggling to trust God, it's because you don't know him well enough. I want to encourage you to get to know him, get him to know him better. Just like a friend, spend time with him. Uh, just as you get to know a friend, um, maybe you have a neighbor and when you first know him, you would have never asked for any help, so to speak. Um, but years have passed. You've helped each other. You've taken care of things for each other. Maybe your kids have become friends, whatever the case. Now you realize you would trust them. You realize they have no uh, ill will in their heart against you. They're not the type of person who's looking for a shortcut to shoplift life. They're not looking for a way to take advantage by harming others. There's no malevolent edge to their character. And now it would be much easier for you to trust them, to leave them the keys to your house. Maybe even in a circumstance where it had to happen, um, have them pick up your kids from school while they're picking up their kids. You see how this happens? Um, in like manner, we can get to know God. And as we know his heart, it makes it easier to trust him. And until I am ready to trust him, I will not know spiritual freedom. Until I'm willing to surrender, I will not know what spiritual freedom feels like. I may pray for a miracle, but you'll notice my fist will be clenched because I don't trust God whether or not he's going to give it to me. My teeth will be grinding. I'll be having stress dreams and I'll be 
rather than praying prayers of intercession, I'll be praying prayers of agony because I'm not trusting him to know the best path for me. And so even though I'm being religious, I am not in freedom. My wings of faith are not spread. I'm not flying and rising high um, into a, a new hope, a new a new joy, a new confidence. Um, on the other hand, I can get to know him. I can trust him. He knows what's for me better than I do. And I begin. I can begin to pray prayers like, Lord, if it's not your will for me to have something I want, I don't because I know how it could become a curse. Now, that's me willing to go through. When I said I was uh, here for you, trust him. But if you do not know him, uh, you will never live in surrender and you will never experience, and I, or I will never experience the mindset of spiritual freedom because freedom is not a measure of your faith. Freedom is a measure of your trust or a measure of your of your uh, surrender. Um, and so let me just reiterate this and, and drive it home. In order to surrender our, li- surrender our lives to God, we must believe that he is good and that he is worthy of our trust. He is good and he is worthy of our trust. Um, if you... Uh, if you try to skip um, the getting to know God part, and I think all of us at some stage in our life have tried to do it, if you try to skip the getting to know God part, your freedom in Christ will always be more pretense than presence because you skipped the most important part. You did not get to know him. And so I, I want to say this, um, God will not force himself upon any of us. Um, we, we've talked about choosing a spiritual life. We've talked about getting out of the life of cynicism and criticism and fighting God over everything, fighting others and pursuing instead that innocence of God's goodness, thinking on pure things, uh, forgiving people, uh, not because they deserve our forgiveness, but because we want to be free of the curse of uh, sin within ourselves. Um, We turn away from the hatred of others. We turn away from that tree of judgment. And people, you can always tell the people living in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because they are obsessed with judgment, primarily of others. That's when their lips are moving. And then when their lips stop moving, they probably struggle with judging themselves too. But that is an unhealthy way. Unfortunately, a lot of religious people are stuck there. They think the answer to God is more law. And they're, they may not be sophisticated enough to put it into words, but they're really mad that um, the gospel came through Jesus Christ and now we have a perfect life lived in our stead. They're, they're really mad about that. <laughs> they just don't know it. <laughs> and so uh, I, I, want to, I want to challenge all of you to turn away from that life of judgment. It's spoken about so harshly in the scripture. And I'm not talking about just as a thou shalt not type thing, but the same measure you mete out, it will be meted back to you, that life of judgment. Let's not live there. Uh, Also, if you cannot forgive others, you yourself will not be forgiven. That's pretty heavy. Uh, There's not many things that's spoken of that clearly in the Bible. 
Uh, and thirdly, how about this one? If you have broken the law or moral, ethical rightness in any way, you are guilty of all the transgressions. Let's not live in the tree of, of the knowledge of good and evil. Let's not live our life figuring out, let, let's, let's step into that childlike innocence and goodness where we begin to trust God. Well, what about this denomination? Well, I'm just trusting God. <laughs> what about that preacher? What are they doing? What about this politics? I, I, I can't live there. I can't live there. I am pursuing a particular manner of being. I want to know God, and by knowing God, I want to learn to trust Him. And by trusting Him, I want to mount up on wings like an eagle. I want to live in a spiritual, spiritual freedom. Um, all right, let me let me try to start introducing you uh, to. Um, uh, the kind of the uh, how I would wind uh, wind this up here tonight. Um, I st I, I kind of I, I wanted to bring one point that I kind of I kind of missed. I got sidetracked. Um, no, if knowing God is the key to trusting God, um, remember that the Lord will not force you to pray. He will not chase you down. Um, let me say to every prodigal son and daughter, you've got to come home. Let me say to myself, you've got to come home. Let me say to everyone who has served God for many years, you have to come home. The Father is at home waiting for you. The Father's not the one who left. You left. The Father is waiting on you to come home. So I want to know God. Okay, uh, turn away from the pigsties, uh, the parties, uh, the riotous living, uh, Mr. Prodigal Son. Turn away from that. Remember the things are better in your father's house and and come home. Uh, James said it so well in chapter four, verse eight of his, of his uh, gospel. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Such an interesting point to make right here, trying to get people to um, draw near to God, double-minded. As if James would say to all of us, uh, there's a big risk that you're going to try to have what the world has and also what God has. It's not going to work. That is double-minded. God's way of doing things is so different than ours that often it does not make sense. Any of you could to teach that. You have lived that if you've served God any length of time. His way of thinking is so different and so much greater um, uh, we usually will not understand how he is working in our life. And yet, if we know him, that is the path to trusting him. When we don't understand why our loved one's sick, when we don't understand why our family is going through the circumstances it is, when we don't understand why we are reaping the consequence of a crop we planted seemingly years ago, um, we have to know that God will never leave us or forsake us. Remember, the path to trust is knowing him. He will never lead, leave us nor forsake us. And we stand on that. We know that he is good. We know that he keeps his word. We know that his ways are higher than our ways. Isaiah 55 and 9. Just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts higher 
than your thoughts. Um, so to put this in the form of a metaphor, um, imagine you're going to take a trip. You're going to take a long road trip. Uh, I, I love trip as metaphor because I think, well, first of all, the Bible uses a trip as a spiritual metaphor, a journey as a spiritual metaphor uh, for us so many places. But imagine you're going to take a trip. Um, you're going to go, let's say you're going to see the, the Grand Canyon. Um, and you plan to drive your car and you invite you invite your friend to come with you. Um, you realize you don't have a map. You don't have a smartphone. You don't have a compass. <laughs> you don't know how to get there. You're completely lost. But your friend not only has all of these, but he or she um, has already been to the Grand Canyon. And he, he or she, this friend, knows every pothole, every gas station, and every restaurant along the way. Um, it would only make sense for you, having trusted your friend enough to invite them on a trip with you, for you to say, I don't have a smartphone, I don't have a map, I've never been there, you have done all of these things, would you like to drive? What if your friend would only tell you the way if he or she was driving? Um, that's the dilemma. Um, some people struggle, and I confess, I confess, I have this control issue in me. Um, I don't enjoy admitting it, but it's there. Um, if they can't be in control, they would rather drive blindly than give up control. Let me let me make this worse by telling a story on myself. Oftentimes, when I travel, I I have will go to an event where everything's in one place. A lot of times, events will happen, say in a hotel complex. Everything's happening there. You're staying there. Um, the 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 conference is there, or the wedding is there, or the and I now I know I this is going to make me look bad, but here we go. I have been known on more than a few occasions. I will rent a car that I'm never going to drive. I will drive, rather than just taking a taxi or an Uber to the hotel and being there without a car, I'll rent a car and pay for it while I'm at the event. So if I want to go somewhere, I've got a car sitting outside. Now that's, that's worse than not wanting someone else to drive. Just in case I might want to go somewhere, I deserve the right to have a car. And I'm willing to pay for it, so I know I'm not stuck in this hotel. Uh, there's a quote by the great American novelist, maybe the greatest American novelist. I'll let you guys debate that. But John John Steinbeck, he says, "A journey is like marriage. The only certain way to be wrong is to think you can you control it." <laughs> I love that quote. Um, a journey is like marriage. The certain way to be wrong is to think you can control it. Uh, we go on a journey uh, with God, and we have to cede control. And if we do not trust Him, um, we'll never cede control. We'll get angry at Him. I've seen lots of people do that. We'll get bitter at Him. I've seen lots of people do that. We'll rage against the circumstances of our life. We'll beat the steering wheel with our fists. We'll pace on the side of the road with, you know, seven levels of road rage. Uh, but we won't give up the steering wheel. We will not give up... If we do not trust him, we'll never give up control. Um, if we do not know him, we will never learn to trust him. It's hard to give up control in our life. I want to end. I want to end our our uh, Bible study tonight um, talking about um, a concept that was made 
it was made famous by St. Augustine, one of the uh, church patriarchs, so to speak, um, uh, of church history. And he, he wrote uh, about disordered loves, and he puts all of our life in the context of uh, disordered loves. Um, he says that human beings are created, we are created to love and worship God um, above all else. We are created to love and worship God above all else. This is the first principle that you uh, should think about. Um, uh, that is key to your makeup. It's key to your nature. It's key to your heart. If you miss that, um, you will set yourself up for a very, very difficult life. Here's the second thing. When other people or things become ultimate to us, our love and our capacity for love becomes disordered. What is the sign of that? We begin to worship created things rather than uh, the Creator. This worshiping of created uh, things rather than the Creator. Um, some examples of disordered love is living for fame or for fortune, pleasure, power, luxury, self-sufficiency, or even pleasure, immorality. Um, this is all disordered loves. It's as though the human experience is broken and at its core. Um, another sign of these is we begin to love inferior things excessively, like fame, fortune, pleasure, power, luxury, etc., etc. We love them excessively and we use them in way, ways they were never meant to be used. We expect eternal life from mortal things. Let me say that differently. We expect to feed our eternal spirit our inner souls through carnal, carnal things. And we become, and this is so important, we become enslaved. We become enslaved to these disordered loves that can never truly satisfy. Only the highest good, only, only the, the highest good, God himself, can fulfill our deepest longings, do you see? Only the highest good can fulfill that. We become enslaved to disordered loves. Um, what do I mean by uh, enslaved? Well, in the same manner that an addict needs more drug to fill the same thing until they get up to what their body can handle and they're really at the edge of overdosing, and even then, the pleasure of the experience goes down and down and down until the person is hooked on something that doesn't even feel like it used to feel, but they are enslaved to it and the goodness of it is gone. This is what happens when we become enslaved to the things we think are gonna make us happy. Only God can fulfill our deepest longings and even more. Uh, and this may surprise and surprise you. Um, e nothing else. I mean, a career can be a good thing, but it cannot make you whole. It cannot feed your soul. It can never feel like freedom. Think about that. It can never feel like freedom. People and loving people is great. People are a big part of our lives, but.
to love another person right, you have to love them under God. What do I mean by that? If you make another person your everything, you put a burden on them they cannot bear because they too are imperfect and lonely and broken and have needs they can't explain and make mistakes that seem stupid. You have placed them in a position to not just be your greatest love, but to disappoint you and cause the opposite reaction in you, which is the greatest hate. How does the greatest hate come? It comes from the disappointments of the people we trusted the most and loved the most. That's why people blame their parents for everything. Your life can be a mess right now. You'll sit on a couch and tell, tell them how your mom never loved you. Of course, she did her best. Why are you still obsessing about that? She, she was your greatest trust. She was your greatest, she was your whole world. You, you, you loved her beyond her ability to give. And so it is with anybody. You have to love people not as your everything, but under God, as though you would still seek the highest good. Um, and let me just say this, a life of real spiritual freedom uh, can only be the result of us ordering our hearts, knowing God, and out of knowing God, we learn to trust God. It's not hard to learn, it's natural. If you get to know Him, it becomes easy to trust Him. If you trust Him, now you have a chance, as difficult as you might think it is, you have a chance uh, to surrender. I don't want this in my life, but your will be done. I wish this circumstance was different, but your will be done. And so I want to end with uh, three things that I, um, I, 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 I think are really takeaways um, from this time we've spent together. Uh, takeaways. Um, the first thing I want to say is this. Surrender is not weakness. Surrender to God is not weakness. It is the hardest, most courageous thing you'll ever do. Surrendering is when you end your own loop of self-deception and lies. Why do I say that? It leads to point number two. You don't have control anyway. So, and if you think it's easy to surrender control to God, if you think it's easy, you think it's just a pacifistic way of not facing the reality of the world, try it. If it's so easy, why can't you do it? Because we crave control. We crave it so much that we will deceive ourselves that we have control. And here's the secret. You don't have control anyway. Number two, by surrendering to God, we are not giving up anything we have, only things we imagine we have. And this, I believe more than anything else, is the great delusion that's at the heart of the knowledge of good and evil. We think we know good and evil, but we don't. We just think we do. We think we know who's good and who's bad, but we don't. We just think we do. I would suggest that we probably should think of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil with a different title. It's the tree that you eat from when you want to learn how to lie to yourself. Because the tree itself attracts with a lie and then it breeds a lie in you 
and you become the product and ultimately the creator of the continuing lie. We don't have control anyway. So why is it so hard for us to give it to God? Because the self-deception loop that we live in every day, and I'm telling you, this is where prayer, real prayer, will help you fight that self-deception loop, that narrative that you tell yourself, oh, you judge yourself by one standard, judge others by understand another standard. Prayer and the working of the Holy Spirit in your life will help you see that. You'll start where you don't wanna know bad things about people because you're aware of the need within yourself. You'll stop. What's the difference in the Pharisee who says, thank God I'm not like that sinner, and the sinner who smites himself on the breast and says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. What's the difference between them? Is one good, one bad? No. Is one righteous, one unrighteous? No. It's just one of them knows the truth about himself and the other doesn't. Do you see? This is the self-deception that we can live with in our life. By surrendering, we don't give anything up that we already have because we don't have what we think we have. We only give up things we imagine we have. And then number three, by surrendering to God, we open ourselves to a divine love that transforms our world, even as it relieves our need to lie to ourselves and others about our world. By surrendering to God, I'm not in control. I don't know the best path for my life. I cannot make one hair on my head turn gray or black. I mean, nowadays you can dye it, but you get the point. The point, it's not, it's, it's, it's a metaphorical point. You can't add one day to your life by worrying. Not one single day. By surrendering ourselves to God, uh, we open ourselves up to a divine love that first of all transformed, transformed the experience of our world. I'm not in control anyway. I want my loved one to be healed, but that's, that's in God's hands. I am thanking him for who he is, and I'm celebrating his promise, but that's in his hand. God knows what's best. I'm freeing myself from the grinding teeth. I'm freeing myself from the clenched fist. If, if, if that works out, I'm gonna do my best. I'm gonna carry my water. I'm gonna do what I can do. But ultimately, God's gonna work that out. I'm freeing myself from this illusion of control. And at the same time, I experience God's love as the transformation of my world. I am relieved from any need I have to lie to myself or others about my world. All of a sudden, I don't have to go to church and act like I'm more religious than I really am. I don't have to go to church and hope no one finds out about my secret sin. I don't have to go to church and look around with the other Pharisees. I can stand in church and spite myself on the breast and say, my delusions are gone, Lord. My delusions are gone. I'm not in control. I'm a worshiper and I seek to know you and I seek to serve you and I seek to walk with you. All right, that's enough. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would walk with all of us today. I pray you would lead us by your power and by your spirit. I pray that we would live in a newness of life, an outpouring of presence. Lord, I pray that first of all, every one of us would recommit to that 
quiet time of spiritual life, that place where the Spirit can move in our life. If we don't make those quiet places, we're not going to be spiritual people. We can be religious people, but we won't be spiritual people. Lord, we have to make those places. We have to find our prayer closet. We have to um, get some prayer partners, join with some other people. We have to sit in the, the quiet places and ask for you to speak to us, oh God. And then having uh, got to know you through that time together, that consideration of the beauty of the Lord, um, we can begin to trust you. And out of that trust comes real surrender comes in and, and and really that's how we experience uh, spiritual freedom we rise up on wings because it's all in your hands and the picture of that that most touches me is the Apostle Paul threatened with death can say almost casually if, if I live that's great I'll preach the gospel if I die that's great I'll be with Jesus this is a this is the voice of a surrendered life I'm not worried about which way I have to take to hide from the soldiers. I'm not calling all the churches, pray, we got to break the back of hell so I can live. No, I'm living, I'm, I'm on wings of freedom. To live is Christ, to die is gain. It seems childlike, it seems simplistic, it seems naive, and that's the beauty of it. Now we have a chance of living spiritual lives of freedom, not trapped in the pain of yesterday, not angry about what we've been through, but we're able to stand in new life, new hope in Jesus' name. I pray that you would think about this. I pray that you would take it seriously. I pray you would apply it to your life. Um, it matters. It matters. It's not enough for us to be church attenders. We need to live with abundant life. We need to live with overcoming joy. It needs to start with me. It needs to start in my house. It needs to flow out as a way of being, a way of this is the path, walk ye in it. Uh, is it easy? No, but it is the way. It is the straight way. It is, it's, it's the surrender, absolute, unhesitating surrender to God. And um, I, I'm not saying I can, I can do it. Uh, I'm saying I can head in that direction. Um, this truth is like all spiritual truths exists as as um, a light in the heavens, a star to wise men, and we we go in that direction. I don't expect you to do it tomorrow. I'm, I'm, I've, I've been trying my whole life. There's, I've got a long way to go, um, but that's the direction I'm heading in. We, you need victory in your life. I need victory in my life. It is our testimony. It's our joy. It is our. Um, really the, the living, walking evidence of God's hand upon us and His Spirit within us. God bless you all. We love you. Um, three services in English, 9.15 in Charlotte, 11 a.m. in Charlotte, 2 p.m. in Concord, uh, service in Spanish in Concord at 11 a.m., and there's a service in Spanish in Charlotte at 2 p.m., a sister congregation, and there is a service in French, our French-African congregation in the Life Center at 2 p.m. on Sundays, and more every day of the week. Practically, we have something going, opportunities to get to know one another, to do life together. We love you. God bless you. Have a great week in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast 
and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.